Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the once in a future official podcast of FlashofSteel.com and coming to you on the Idle Thumbs Podcast Network. I am your host uh, for the evening, Troy Goodfellow, and with me today are two of our regular and original founding panelists. We have from Gamers with Jobs, Julian Murdoch. Hello, hello. And we have from the OR, Dr. Bruce Garrick. Yeah, hello, gamers. <laughs> and from Tom versus Bruce, which I understand the new, the first Tom versus Bruce is going to be going up very soon. Uh, it sure is. If we can figure out WordPress, then absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> With us tonight, we have two of our favorite guests, uh, people who've been on the show a number of times and who always have wise things to say. Uh, we have uh, from Hasbro, uh, though he will soon be striking out on his own, uh, designer of Risk Legacy and a really smart guy, Mr. Rob Davio. Hello, hello. And from No High Scores and uh, Conquistador Games, a former editor and dear friend of mine, and the cheatingest commissioner in Out of the Park Baseball, Mr. Bill Abner. <laughs> and yes, I am definitely my most favorite guest. <laughs> so this is a bigger panel uh, than usual, uh, but we hope to keep the conversation moving quite tightly. Uh, the topic uh, for tonight is teaching games. Um, how is it that we communicate to friends, to strangers, to anybody? How do you play a game? How do you understand a game? Now, this topic came to my mind for a number of reasons. Uh, Bill and I have talked about uh, Conquistador's uh, Road to Enlightenment game and how it will be to teach that. Um, I've I'm constantly bombarded with people asking me, how do I get started in Europa Universalis 4? And these are not easy things necessarily to communicate, um, especially over Twitter. But it does raise the question. <laughs> but it but it does raise the question. Uh, outside of manuals and outside of tutorials, we've all had experience. We've all had this problem where we have friends or acquaintances or strangers asking us or imploring us to teach them a game. Um, I guess I'm going to start with our guests. Uh, both of whom work in the board game business and know board games quite well, um, Rob and Bill. Um, your experiences in teaching games, and what is the number one obstacle? Rob, the number one obstacle in trying to teach a new game to somebody in your experience? Um, everything. I, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, it's something I've said before, but I, I think it bears worth repeating, which is it, it's really like the only form of entertainment where you have to take it all in before you begin. And that, that's very tough in general, and it's certainly tougher with some people than others. And you don't have to. I mean, if you're smart, you'll get to a certain point. You'll say, hey, let's start. Or someone gets bored listening to the rules and say, let's just start and we'll figure it out. But it's this weird type of information processing that we don't do a lot in our everyday life. Like, we're not required to memorize vast amounts of numbers or listen to oral tradition or memorize a, a 13-item shopping list. Like, we aren't trained for this. And then you sit down to play a game, and people are like, okay, I'm going to explain an elaborate flowchart. You're going to take it all in, figure out how to optimize it, and then execute it perfectly to try to win. And um, I, I just feel like that's a skill that people don't have either to learn or to teach. And, um, and, and so I find a, a lot of parts of it very, very difficult. How's that for avoiding the answer? Oh, that's good, Bill. <laughs> uh, well, as the, as the resident game teacher in my, in my board game group specifically, you know, after a while you start to develop you know, sort of a pattern in how you do these things. Um, and I always start out with, you know, this is the object of the game. 
This is, this is what you're trying to do. And then you just break down various ways and how you go about doing it. When I'm first teaching a game to, uh, to, my, to my group, we don't necessarily worry about you know, who's going to win, who's going to lose. It's, it, it, it's all process. And if someone, I'll give you a good example. When we first tried to learn um, the Age of Empires 3 board game, it's now been renamed, I think, to the Age of Discovery, I think. Uh, Glenn Drover made that one. When I, when I tried to teach that one, I literally cracked open the box, we set it up, and we're like leafing through the rules as we're all trying to learn the game. That's the most painful process that you can possibly do. And people will do it at cons, too. There was a group that tried to do that with Road to Enlightenment, and it was just a brutal experience for them. Um, trying to learn games cold is very, very hard. It's always important to have at least that one person that can kind of steer the ship a little bit. Um, but that, that Age of Empires game was just absolutely awful, and it was a lesson to me you know, to, to have a grasp on when you're teaching a game to a group, get the basics down. Get the general, the overview of, of what you're trying to do. And all of the nooks and crannies and strategies, that can come later once people can kind of see how things work. Because if I think if you're going into a game cold, even with someone teaching the game, focusing on, okay, I want to win, I think you're starting, I, I think that's the wrong approach. Well, it's definitely true that there is nothing worse than a group trying to all learn a game mm. at the same time. That's I mean, awful. and that's why the age of the internet solves this problem so many times, because I can watch some random 15-minute YouTube video from, I don't know, Tom Vassell or any of the guys that do great, you know, and they're not even necessarily purporting to teach you the whole game. They're often just reviews, and the course of the review is sort of showing you what a turn looks like and how things work and where all the pieces go. And just that 15 minutes of prep makes the experience of setting up and, and understanding that game so much better. I sort of liken it to learning how to read music, right? I, I'm not a guy who can just look at a piece of music and hear it in my head. But if I can read the music while I'm listening to it, all of a sudden I can say, oh, okay, I get it now. And then I can go back to the sheet music and I can play something. But if I'm just trying to do it cold, forget it. It's yeah, impossible. Yeah, right? it and is. It is. That's a huge challenge for anybody making a new game because everybody has to have a first time somewhere and you can't like shovel Rob Davio around to every game group in the country <laughs> to teach well, him a new game. Yeah, that's actually I really am going to have a lot of free time, actually. <laughs> I'm out of work in a week, so call me up. I'll come on over. Well, no, that is a really a good point. When I went to Gen Con um, a few weeks ago and I, I, I spent the, the weekend at Todd's place and I had the game with me um, and I, we all set it up and they had all these questions and I'm there to help them. It's like, wow, it sure does help having someone that was involved in the game there to teach the game. And with that, when, when someone like that is not there, you know, it can be such a big hurdle. But I, th I think I do a l what a lot of game teachers do is I always will learn the learn the game solo. I mean, I'll set the game I'll set the game up completely, and I'll try to do a few turns with just me. It can be like a six player game, and I'll and I'll play everyone's turn for a couple of turns just so I have a feel for how things flow. And I, and, I, and I've stopped the presses apparently. No, no. <laughs> I, there's there's so many ways to tackle this conversation. I mean, everything everyone's saying, I've got a whole monologue that I could give about it. But I think, it, I think it's true. It's like this, the, the worst thing is, like you said, everyone trying to learn at the same time because one person gets, you know, sort of stuck with the rule book. And then suddenly they have to be Socrates, right? Like they have to know all of the answers to all of these questions. And it's this weird thing where they're reading the written word, parsing it, and then giving an oral speech, like, like the, reading it out loud is deadly, 
because it's not written that way. So instead you're going, oh, I see. Let me sum up and you do it. And then inevitably someone asks a question that you don't know. So unless you've done that prep work ahead of time, you're right. You're really setting yourself up for failure. But so many people, especially because I've worked in mass market games, that's never how it happens. I mean, it's just the mom sitting there at the table and the kids going, I want to play right now. Yeah, eventually you just sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. You know, right. it, it just becomes just words. Rob, I mean, one of the things that first got me thinking about this sort of the challenge of explaining a game to somebody was, um, I think you may be the only person in the world that has this t-shirt, but you have a t-shirt with the flowchart of the Jenga rules system on it, which yeah. I, can't, can you rem- I can't remember the boxes explicitly, but it's three boxes, right? Uh, it says, uh, t- yeah, I knew I went with a t-shirt cause I made it on cafe press. Um, it says, um, take a block from the tower and put it on top. And then you have your flow chart and it goes to the diamond and says, does it fall? Did it fall over? And no goes back up to the top. And then yes says you lose, which is really <laughs> <laughs> all of the rules to Jenga. That's great. But, but I mean, that's, that's sort of the thing is that I'm sure that if you crack up with the rule book for Jenga, it's, it's more complicated than that, but it's that distillation of like what is actually going on and what is actually important that can often be just impenetrably difficult to, to do. I mean, I, especially with a, with a complex game, right? I mean, Jenga is the simplest game in the world and I guarantee you the rule book's more complicated than your t-shirt. Um, but when you get to a big, meaty, Amero trash game or, you know, God forbid, an actual war game, it's it can just take forever. And, and, and I'm, I'm starting to see I, I know, Rob, in your work, I've started to see you're starting to try to build, design the game from the ground up so that it's easier to play on the first sit down. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, you want that first game to go well. And everyone's had the game where you sit down and for whatever reason, the game doesn't go well. And that, that colors you. I can be intellectual and say, well, it, I rolled poorly. It was the thin end of the bell curve or I was tired. But it doesn't matter because there's so many games and my subjective emotional mind says, that wasn't fun. I didn't enjoy it. So yes. when I'm designing games, I'm trying to think of like, what's the first experience and how do you get people having fun right away? Actually, I, um, I had a, some people at MIT do a study for me where they took board games to people's houses and they, they had these wristbands they put on them, which, and I love the technical term, measured their arousal. <laughs> awesome. It's like one of those political which, speeches. Yeah, which is great because hearing the guy talk about it all the time, and he talks about people's arousal level, well, not meaning what we think at all is always fun. But it actually measures the conductivity of your skin receptors, which basically means how bored or excited you are. Now, excited could mean frustrated. Or it could mean really into it. So it's this weird level of engagement. And he had these families open board games and then learn the rules without any interference and then start playing. And it was horrific, the sort of learnings there. Because the most exciting part of any board game is opening it. (laughs) (laughs) I I would believe that. Right. I would absolutely believe that. It's a Christmas present. It has unlimited possibility of everything that's going to happen. And you're pulling each piece out and you're saying, oh, my gosh, this is going to be amazing. And then, as he described it, they take out the rule book and that's where fun goes to die. (laughs) Yep. Wow. And that was the exact phrase he used. And it's just this nadir of disinterest, disconnected 
from the people who are listening and the person reading the rule book is getting more and more frustrated because no one's listening and feeling more and more pressure. And then slowly but surely, the group got coaxed out of this valley back to a place of ups and downs as they played the game. But none of the ups were as interesting as opening the box. <laughs> that's interesting. I, think, uh, well, I agree. Others. I think that's partially why you have so many board game collectors as well. I mean, there are people that, that will have copies of games that have just been opened and never played. There's a lot of people like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I have I have games in my basement. I absolutely admit to it that I have that I have opened, I've punched everything out, and I've not played it yet. Absolutely, yeah. I, I have fifty of those. <laughs> it's, it's, Go it's, ahead, Bruce. Bruce, you I, have something? Oh, I just wanted to add to that that I think that there are two, there's pretty different experience when you have people that are all sitting and, and learning a game together versus somebody sitting. I mean, I just my road to enlightenment just actually just showed up today mm-hmm. uh, because I had it forwarded. I said was moving. And I didn't want to get lost, so I sent it to a secure address and then had it uh, forwarded <laughs> to me, the undisclosed location. Uh, but uh, anyway, I got it today. And um, I opened the box, and I immediately started reading the rules. I mean, the rules were great, but that was because I was sitting by myself. And I'm not going to obviously uh, – it's kind of like the people that, you know, you go to dinner with them, and then all of a sudden they've got their smartphone, and they're, like, looking up some, their fantasy team, and then, you know, they're texting somebody <laughs> about, you know, whether Michael Vick's starting or something like that. I mean, it, right? So, I mean – there's a, there's a social component to that where I can imagine how if you have, you know, five people sitting around waiting to learn to play the game, the worst way to do that is to have everybody read the rules. But I'm not convinced that, you know, for, well, okay, for people like me, reading the rules is great. I mean, I sometimes go to go to the closet, find a, you know, an old game and just pull out the rules and start reading them. I think it's great. Um, and I, but, you know, that's kind of weird and, and, and scary. <laughs> but I, I do think that, um, you know, the... Uh, you guys are talking about, uh, you know, watching, uh, you know, like Tom Vassell give a little um, demonstration, right. uh, you know, a video demonstration. That's how I actually learn games best is not watching Tom Vassell, but having somebody just play the game. Like, I almost get irritated when people are saying, well, this is how this works. Like, no, just let's set up a game, pretend you're playing the game, and then tell me about the game while you're playing it. Uh, and then, you know, let's play a practice game or whatever. Let's not just get it, you know, because the system, if, if, if we're trying to absorb it for a, for a playing, I'm going to try to sort of duplicate the actions that are being taken. It's much harder to read the rules and then translate that to an action that I'm taking just in, you know, 15 minutes, whereas I think it's easier to read the rules, think about them, go get a grilled cheese sandwich, uh, you know, watch a football game, and then come back to it, and you've internalized it, rather than uh, just have to some, somehow conceptualize all that text that, uh, like Rob was saying, that, you know, you're n- very accurately, nobody does that in real life. So uh, I think that if you're, if you're in, a, in a gathering of people, then yeah, the rule book is a, is a terrible way to go. But uh, if, if you're not, I think it's actually a, a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, actually, you just reminded me, I... I... In answer to the question that I was asked ahead of time, or maybe a different question that I just thought of, uh, I think that the best way to learn a game is to watch people playing it who know what they're doing and be able to ask key questions whenever you want. Like, if you've ever seen people playing and you just kind of watch, you go, oh, I see, I see. And then you get to a point where you don't know what they're doing. And if you could ask them, like, why do you do... Oh, I see. You get to do that when... Okay, that makes sense. And it, to me, just watching people play it, it, it you see the patterns so much better when it's in action with people know what they're doing than trying to abstract it from either you know written down words or people explaining what could happen 
and by not being the person playing it, you're not trying to win. You're just trying to see what everyone's doing. So if we can somehow do that, we'll be all set. This is where Let's Play videos have come in so useful in the strategy game and war game universe, at least. Seeing people actually play and manipulate complex strategy games. Um, I'm not sure a lot of Let's Play videos for board games. There must be. But I know there are lots of Let's Plays for RTSs, for the Paradox games. You know, things that are a little bit... Um, that might intimidate some people. I know there are lots of Let's Plays for complicated RPGs and even for some... JRPGs, which I don't play. But in the Let's Play videos, that's really what that is, right? You're watching somebody else go through all the motions, and you can't directly ask them questions, but the very best ones explain what they're doing. They don't just go and do stuff. They explain, here's what I'm doing and why. I agree. I mean, it, it gets down to, I mean, you guys were just at Gen Con. I had to skip this year, but it comes down to that, that really that demo experience, right? I mean, a great demo isn't uh let me teach you how to play the entire game it's a here's a half hour experience with this game that maybe takes two hours right i actually find the worst kind of demo to be the one where they actually are sitting there and say oh like you walked up with your group of four friends i'm gonna walk you through playing this entire game from setup to finish right maybe like if there's a game i'm really into and i really want to do that and i'm not sure i want to buy it sure that but that's a pretty rare exception usually what i want to do is get that flavor for the game understand all the core mechanics and then understand whether or not I want to buy it. But that's so rare. I mean, you know, I, I did a, a few years of actually demoing games at Gen Con for various companies, just sort of as a way to get a ticket in a hotel room. Um, and it was really fun. But it was also one of those things where I feel sorry for the people who showed up on day one when I was just starting to figure out how to try to oh, teach this man. game. I and oh, yeah, it's awful. You know, it's uh -huh. just terrible. Yeah. Oh, man, um, and, I, went, and, I went through that. Go ahead. Yeah, and day four. When, yeah. <laughs> when the last thing you want to do is ever talk about that game ever again. But at least but, then you've got the patter down. At least then yeah. you're like, okay, you're looking at a game that's in turn three, right? <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> right? Um, I mean, I remember, Rob, when, when uh, Hasbro did the reboot of History of the World. That was one of the Gen Cons I was demoing for. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's like, you're not going to set up a new game of History of the World every half hour to demo to people. This game takes a day and a half, right? Um but, but, you know, we would set up the board, at, you know, sort of the middle of turn five or something like that, right at the change of one of the major ages and, you know, let people play for half an hour. And I swear every one of those people could probably have walked away from the table, grabbed a copy and set it up and played the game through and had a good understanding of what was going on because you started in the middle, which is honestly where it's often easier to figure out a game. That's true. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have often said, although it's impossible I would love it if um, game designers and developers didn't write the rule book until they had to go pitch it at a convention for four days. <laughs> <laughs> because you you immediately know what people are going to ask. I mean, I was demoing HeroScape back in 2004, I think it was, whenever it came out. And on the first day, just like you said, I was fumbling and confused. And I still remember now what my pitch was by day three. And people would do that little thing where they kind of lift their shoulders like they're going to say something. I'd be like, I know you're asking about defense. Like, I knew mm -hmm. their questions. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they'd be like, yeah. And I'm like, one moment, I'm going to get to it. You know, and it, it was just, I, the rule book would have been so much better if I had written it then as opposed to, you know, seven months before or whenever I had written it. I can very much relate to that when I when I demoed Road at uh, WBC. I must have did a 
hundred and hundred and fifty demos, not demos, but just like that, like that ten minute explanation. You know, someone walks by the booth, hey, what's this? You know, and you give your you give your spiel, and and yeah, that's absolutely correct. That you get to a point where you know what they're going to ask, and you and and I felt sort of like someone giving a speech or even like a stand up comedian who you can tell if you're losing the audience a little bit when you're when you're describing something and you're kind of losing them. Then, then you talk about something else and they kind of get interested again. So being able to read people like that, it was it was a very interesting experience. Yeah. Um, to, to shift topic, and I'm not sure, well, no, I'm staying on topic, but to take a different tact here, because it's something, um, the guy who hired me at Hasbro, and he gives a talk about rules writing at Gen Con, is Mike Gray. And he pointed out something to me. Um, it's interesting, and it gets into a little bit of the mechanics of the rule book itself, rather than the, the idea of teaching a game, but it kind of gets to the heart of it, which is he says that a rule book has to do two things, and they fight each other. Um, the first one is when you're learning the game, it should be as, as fast as possible to get you into the game, and you shouldn't be bogged down on really bizarre edge cases that won't happen much, um, because no one wants to process that, because it's not going to happen. You just want to get in and get playing. Then once you're playing the game, that exact same rule book has to be a reference book that explains nothing but edge cases and questions. And it has to be entirely detail-driven. So the very nature of a rule book kind of fights itself because the first time you use it, you want it to be brief and clear and fast and get right into it and don't give me a lot of details. And then from thereafter, it has to be all details. And I've never quite figured out how to write a rule book to solve both of those things. But I think if you kind of take that to a macro level, it's the same thing that happens when you're explaining the game. Like, how do you explain a game and not give too much detail, but yet still at the same time know those details when they come up? Well, the way you do that is you uh, have a, an example, uh, whatever, an example um, turn or an example game or something like that, and you have it on a tablet so that anytime you have a rule, you can touch the rule, and it goes back to the rule book that explains that rule. Ah, uh, tablets. Yeah. But, I mean, I think that, I mean, the point that I'm trying to make is that I think that it, it, it does, going back to my original uh, preference for people walking me through a game, uh, one of the games that Troy and I are still trying to get off the ground, and I'm uh, Troy, I'm, I'm going to, we're going to do this. I want to play this game PQ17. Um, and it really, one of the reasons that we haven't played it is that it really is uh, a game that kind of blows up all of the sort of conceits. or The system is so different from any war game that I've ever really played that I really kind of have to read the rules and try to conceptualize it. Because a lot of the times, you know, you, you get a game and somebody says, uh, hey, you want to play this game? It's, um, it's a combat factor differential game. And you're like, oh, okay, that's fine. So I just have to have more c- combat factors than the other guy's defense, right? Whatever easy or you know this is an odds differential game oh okay well then i have to play it slightly differently and you sort of uh, you know people can just say one or two you know this obviously for experienced gamers but you can say you know one or two line things and uh and people will pick it up and then they sort of bring in you know past knowledge or, or their experience into the game and say oh well I, i'm not quite sure what he's saying but i understand the concept I understand like in other games how this kind of worked so i'm sort of going to form that framework around that, and then we'll figure out the details. For this game, it is so hard for me to read the rule book and, and visualize what's going on in the game. It's actually almost impossible because so many of the, the systems are so foreign, and it's just all this text, and it's very complicated. So I keep going back to the example. They, have, they actually have an example game, which is wonderful, uh, where I just kind of try to play out the game and then read the rules, and I'm still not there. It'd be so much nicer if somebody would just 
come over and teach me the game. But uh, but having an example game is really, I think, the way to go, and uh, with a lot of commentary and explanation. If you're gonna, you know, we're gonna, t- I don't, I know we're not talking about documentation per se, but if you're gonna right. do that, have a do, have some good formatting to just make it a block of text have you know uh you know bold and and, and boxes and set things off and things like that but uh, i really think that's where you could use a tablet really well because uh you have an example game you just kind of say oh huh i wonder how this is working and then you click on the rule and it takes you back to the rule and you read exactly what the rule says and how that mechanic is being applied yeah i love the idea of using tablets that way make it so uh, i'll try <laughs> do it for bruce yeah, there you go. If not, for, if, not, if not for me, do it for Bruce. Well, okay. I mean, I, you know, and this gets to the other thing about teaching games, right, is which is, uh, you know, all of the rule books and player aids in the world aren't as good as sort of a, a, a click-through sample game, right, where, you know, like Bruce right. was talking about. And and I think this is, you know, to, to me, tablets have just completely reinvigorated my love for board games, you know, because I can play so many of these things and really learn the games in a way I never could otherwise. Because one of the big problems with a big, chunky game is, you know, how many times you're really going to have a good two-hour block of time with three of your friends to play the same game? Because I'm one of those guys, I imagine, like the rest of you, who has just a ton of games in the closet, and there's always something new and shiny you want to play. And so it's really rare that there's an opportunity to, say, get 10 plays of a game in in the course of a year, uh, unless it's something that's just phenomenal or quick. Right. And, and that's, that's a real problem too, is that, uh, you know, how do you design a game that, you know, by game two, people are, you know, at the point where they have some mastery of it. Well, that also goes back to that first impression thing to where, you know, if a game doesn't go over well in that first play, there's a chance it's buried in the closet or it's, or it's being traded or sold or something. I mean, it's, it is rare with a group that has a bunch of games in the closet that if that, if that first experience is a bad one, it could never see the table again. Oh, and I, I have friends that, like, I have a good friend uh, who, who will never play Agricola because his first game was, mm-hmm. it's not that he didn't learn the game. It's not that he doesn't appreciate the the structure of the game. He, his first game was just with somebody where it was so painful because they had analysis yep. paralysis that it was like four <laughs> and a half hours to play a 90-minute game. And so he's just like, nope, I, but that game burned me out. I'm never touching it again. Oh, you can admit you're talking about me. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about you. Well, I, I was at the same table as the ah. other guy who played it. <laughs> <laughs> but that it it's just sad, right? Because not, that can not only ruin one game, it can ruin whole genres. <laughs> so it's true. I, it, it was such a tedious process, and it's like I just it, I never want to play it again. You're and scarred. I'm, You're scarred. For I'm, life. I'm scarred, and like I, as a game designer, I'm like, there's a lot of clever stuff there I want to dig through. But then as a game player, I'm like, I, I'm like getting flashbacks and PTSD of like sitting in this <laughs> table yeah. for like four hours and I don't want to go back to that place. So it, it's weird how much the, uh, how emotional we can be when you're being all cerebral about processing rules. So this gets down to, I mean, what's the purpose of a teaching game? What's the purpose of the, t- the teaching process? Because you know, you, you know, you're not that focused people winning. You want to have them learn how things work and let them understand there are going to be some ups and downs and, if you're teaching the game, then generally you're not going to. If you're if you're playing it with them, you're not going to be trying your hardest because I mean, Bruce has taught me board games for Brett Spiel. I think I win about two thirds of the teaching games and then win like one tenth of them from thereafter. <laughs> That's just kind of how it works. You're trying to suck us. somebody in, Bruce, I get that totally. Bruce is patting you on the head. Bruce is just sandbagging. That's all. Wow, I'm really good at this game. Let's play it again. Oh, you lost. Um, so. 
but you want to have something for them to hang on to. You got to have some sort of fun beyond. Okay, these are the rules. Here's where everything goes. And so, what's how do you? I mean, you see this in computer games too. You want people to have like to understand the rules, know where everything goes, understand the process and the systems and the pieces and all the actions. And for God's sakes, the menus. Oh my God, the menus. Um, but you also they're also they're going to screw up. And there's things you can't control. How do you ensure that the player, if it's a game that you believe in, that you've played a lot and you like, that it doesn't end up being a four-hour Batan death march through the fields of Julian zombie Agricola games, or nuclear Agricola games, sorry. Uh, how do you get that? I mean, there's no certain way you can do that. But how can you assure that the people who are learning are actually enjoying the process? Because I know people who refuse to play board games at all because they've been poorly taught. Well, I, I think that uh, I'm sorry to jump in, but I I, yeah. I think no, that the the part of the for me, uh, I just I I just had this experience over Labor Day weekend. A really uh, good friend of mine who I've played, uh, well, he's been a friend of mine since college, and we've played Titan against each other forever. Um, he uh, he came over for for the uh, Labor Day weekend and uh, hung out with me and my wife, and uh, I did have a game teaching uh, experience with him where we played. Uh, uh, Carson City, and uh, I had uh, basically had seen it at uh, Tom Chick's house, and uh, I picked it up, and I taught him the game, and I have to say, I don't know how he felt about it, but for me, like, learning how to play the game was almost as fun as the game ended up being when we played it, because it was, first of all, the the, the rules are fairly simple, uh, and we were able to, I, I mean, I taught him the game because I didn't really know the game. So I taught him the game by reading the rules out loud. We're both, uh, game players that had a ton of experience. And so then we just sort of played a game after that. And half the fun was realizing that we're doing things wrong. And we're like, uh, you know, that, that, uh, hotel we just bought. Yeah, that's completely illegal. And so we say, oh, that's funny. And then, you know, then we move on to the next thing. And we had sort of this, like, you know, kind of Frankenstein game that I think half of the things we did were, were wrong or not allowed or whatever. And uh, and then we played a second game and, uh, you know, realized, you know, then we started sort of picking up the uh, the system and, and why things were working the way they were. And, uh, you know, it was, it was fun to, to sort of understand what the designers were going for whether we agreed with it or didn't whether i know I, i'm not sure he enjoyed the game itself. i don't think he thought it was that great a game you know when all was said and done but we had a good time just kind of learning a new game and it was sort of a collaborative experience and I, I had a really good time with it so um i think that uh if you're coming into a room of people that you don't know and it's all focused on the game then yeah, that's going to be a tough one. Um, but if you're just if you're with friends and you're picking up a game and thinking, "Huh, I want you know, I wonder how this thing works," and everybody starts pulling it apart, and then you start playing, and somebody else in the corner yells out, "Hey, you're doing that wrong!" You know that I mean that's I mean that's an experience that's that's enjoyable in itself, and I think that's part of why I play games in the first place. I think most games are played wrong, in 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 some way, even games that you may have played. 20, 30, 40 times. There's usually something that yeah, is, that is someone, that is... someone <laughs> someone's screwing something up. I mean, I stumbled apro- across a rule with a game that I had played countless times. Like, oh, shit, really? I didn't see that. You know, and it's right there in the rule book. It's just that you miss stuff. But yeah, I think I think that so many games are, even even if just slightly, are almost all misplayed. 
And I, I think you're right. I mean, I think you have to assume as a designer, and it's so disheartening. You're like, this is it. This is my perfect dream of an experience. Go play this, and you'll have a wonderful time. <laughs> and you know, in your heart, you're like, okay, maybe half of that will work. It's like sending a teenager out in a car. Like it's just, <laughs> you're like, oh, please, just come back alive, right? You're like that's all you can hope for. And and it's kind of like a weird thing when you're designing and. Um, it took me a while, and again, I've been in a case where I've been designing for mass market, which is sort of all of this rules aversion is intensified. And um, I found myself over the past couple of years, or maybe five or six years, really making game balance versus game accessibility trades and being okay with it. Right? Like designing a game and going, there's a real first turn advantage. And like trying all these different options, you know, first player advantage, sorry. Mm-hmm. And then getting to the end and going, that's a party game for people drinking. No one cares, right? You know, like, yeah. right? It's just like they just want to be playing now. Go and you know, and I will just make it as straightforward as possible to get in. And I will know, like, any gamer who plays will go. Hold on a minute, you need to go first, and you, you win. Never, and it's you like you never want to go to second in beer pong, right? <laughs> and um, it was it, it was a weird place to get to. And and you know, sometimes I feel a little bad about it. And sometimes I'm like, look, the people want to sit down and play a game and have a good time. And if they can't even start playing. Because I've come up with some elaborate 18-part setup to, you know, balance out the beginning, then then I've then I've kind of failed. Which is, people go, "Do you want to play a game?" Yeah, then they should be playing. Um, so it, it, there's weird balances going on there that I sim- sometimes, you know, try to figure out what the right path is. I think another thing about uh, what, what go along the lines of what you just said is that, uh, you know, it, it depends on the audience. Just like uh, you know, you were talking about the you know the mass market. Some people actually, I think, enjoy just figuring out what is what somebody did wrong. I mean, every ASL tournament I've ever been in, I mean, there's long pauses while somebody looks up some rule that, uh, you know, I mean, these people have been playing ASL for 25 years, and, you know, they don't know how first fire works, but games that become so complex, that almost, that's it's part of the game to try to actually figure out what somebody's doing wrong and stop them. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, certainly that's part of playing ASL. ASL right. is the ultimate rules layers game where it's not about whether or not you're strategically better. It's about whether or not you know chapter E27B, you know? There's so- there's something to that, although there is, yeah, I... <laughs> Although I will admit, you know, what you what you said, Bill, about, you know, how most games are probably played wrong could not be truer for any game than it is for ASL. I mean, I, oh, you know, I'm I've sure. been playing ASL forever and I doubt I've ever played even the opening scenario correctly without a single error. I'm sure I haven't because I'm sure there's some, you know, sticker I didn't put in my rule book at some point. But see that one, but that one you can you can kind of understand. I mean, we were screwing up King of Tokyo. I mean, King of Tokyo is like a Yahtzee variant, you know, with monsters destroying the city of Tokyo and bashing each other. I'd played that game 50 times and saw something in the rules. It was like, oh, shit, been doing that wrong for <laughs> for months now. Well, there's actually a, isn't there a, you guys can correct me, but isn't there a thing in the Advanced Squad Leader Rulebook that actually says that, uh, you know, if you make a mistake and the game continues, then, you know, you cannot take back a die roll, you cannot, you know, a, a, a player who moves, a, you know, a counter too far or, you know, takes a modifier that he didn't deserve, 
uh, if that's if uh, yeah, I think it stands. I'm looking yeah, it, it up stands. because you asked me, and I have my book right here. So uh, yeah, you have it, your it, book I, right there. You, you always have it with you, don't you? It's like I do. I just it never leaves so my awesome. hands. We've got to play that game sometime. It's freaking crazy. We need to do an ASL show. You realize? Oh yeah, we're going to. There will be an ASL show. Wait, this is beautiful because this is actually relevant, right? This actually the very second rule of Advanced Squad Leader is. Is it? Is it really there? It is A two. It's rule A two on page one. Read it. It says all results stand once play has progressed past the point of commission. Period. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That's pretty fascist. I kind of want to go back to writing rule books like that. Like, I always try to write them like, hey, come on, we're having fun. You know, and, you know, this is just like, this is how it is. Deal with it. Right. It's like, the, what are you, a fucking communist? Play the game. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, everybody, I, are, do you guys have, have uh, either, you guys all have to have some kind of like example of, uh, or a story about how you guys were playing some rule ridiculously wrong. I mean, I remember in, I mine was an advanced uh, civil. Actually, I think it was the original Civilization. You know, the board game, the Avalon Hill board game. For we were playing, we played the game for years, and uh, then I got in a game with some guys in college, and they all claimed to be these Civilization, you know, experts, just nuts, fanatics. And you know, we did one of those games where you know it starts at noon and then it was going on at like four in the morning, but nobody realized. That for that you for civilization cards that you bought on a certain turn, you could take that. Uh, you could take the the credit for for subsequent purchases. So like on one of the last turns, I bought like half of the cards because I had you know uh, uh, you know ordered the ordered the purchases in such a way that I like you know bought three times as many cards as anybody ever bought to you know in that particular game. And everybody was like, oh, you can't do that, Bruce. That, that's illegal. It's like, no, actually, it's not illegal. And I'll show you the rule right here. And I showed them. And there was a, a unanimous, except for me, agreement that because nobody else knew that rule and that was going to break the game, that that was not the rule for this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I played Endeavor, uh, which is, I love Endeavor. It's a great game. But it's one where timing is very tricky. It's like if you, you're constantly screwing the other guy out of exactly what you wanted to do. And I played that game for a year and loved it and played the heck out of it. Uh, and I we we'd been playing it where each person took all of their actions and then went to the next person who took all of their actions. So oh, going wow. going first was like monumentally important. That's, that's a game changer. Oh yeah, it really was. <laughs> and we played changer. it like with our little local group for like literally like three house conventions in a row that way until finally somebody pointed out it's like you are not even remotely playing this game the way it's supposed to be played. <laughs> Yeah, my my uh, most recent version of that was with Seven Wonders, which I would play, and it would play so quickly, and I'd go, wow, I lost really badly. Then we play again, and I'd be like, oh, I, I don't get this game. How are people doing this? And then somewhere after, like, my eighth game, I saw someone buy a card, and then I'm like, hey, you didn't pay for that. And they're like, oh, no, I have this card. It lets you buy stuff for free. You see the uh, little the word up, in the, the corner upgrade. on the card, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, oh, oh, my God. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That makes it so much cooler. <laughs> <laughs> now you have to actually think about what you were going to build next. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like looking, oh, it's oh, it's all written on the cards. I thought that was just typos flavor. written flavor, sideways. Flavor text in French. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was my latest oops. <laughs> That's a good one. Wow. Troy? 
I don't have any. I haven't taught a lot of games. I'm usually being taught them, um, and I'm often really learning them wrong. I learn from Bruce. I learn them right from Bruce. Uh, but um, I guess Risk Legacy, actually. Oh, um, yeah, not your fault. <laughs> uh, we were playing we were, uh, our last board game meetup. We opened, we brought it out, and we don't played it a few times. Uh, but somehow, in one of the games that I wasn't a part of, um, they opened an envelope too soon. Ah. So there were these cards floating around, uh, scar cards. Yeah. People were laying down scars. Oh, wait a minute. This territory is permanently transformed, but that envelope was not supposed to be opened yet. None of these scars should be there. So, But some people still have their scar cards. So what do you do? Do you disqualify those scar cards for this one game, the, people, the ones that haven't been played yet? I mean, the ones that are already on the board, those are stuck there. Those, aren't, those, are, <laughs> yeah. those, those ain't coming Carefully off. Carefully designed cardboard that cannot get stickers pried yeah. off of. I well, tried for the best glue possible on that. That is I mean it. Some, Pretty damn good glue. Yeah. Uh, so that that's how it was, and then of course, um, so once we realized, oh god, you know, this is it was a uh, Dave Heron who's been on the show realized um, <laughs> these aren't supposed to be here. You know, these are. He finally realized. Wait a minute, these scar cards don't match up. There's something's missing. He realized the way the cards were set out that this envelope should never have been opened. So. We were kind of, oh, well, this is great. And so he started tearing up the leftover scar. The ones that had their scars peeled off, he tore them off. So, oh, well, whatever. You know, we'll just put the other ones back and tear up all, and leave the ones that are there. Of course, of course, that's the only thing you can do, really. Of course, one of the other players didn't realize what he was doing, so she tore up the scar card that hadn't been played yet. Uh. So, oh, no, you can't do that. We might want to use that later when we play it right. So... Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, this legacy we kind of, it's not your fault, but I I think I know who to blame. But he he wasn't at the last meetup, so I'm gonna beat him later. Oh, he's yeah. I mean that that was obviously a concern of mine. I'm like, wow, if someone messes something up and then does something permanent, I don't know what to do here. Yeah. So um, we were being so, taught by we were being taught somebody who had played the game. He was explaining it to us. Yeah. Um. So and he was the guy who I think okay now we can open up this envelope and clearly. Or apparently, it's a, when we read the rule book, yeah, we actually should not have been doing this. We were being taught the game, and the sequence of envelope unveilings was right. being done incorrectly. So, you know, like Bill said, game the game was being played wrong. And who knows how many sessions of the game have been played incorrectly. Well, Troy, how do you guys, when you guys are at your, at your meetups, and you've had yep. several successful ones now, how, how do you guys... Yep. What's the process? I mean, do people just show up and somebody wants to teach a game, and how does it how does it kind of fall together? Do you do you, well, do you generally people, people generally people bring a couple of types of games. They bring games that everybody knows, are games that we've played before, mm-hmm. like Bang, like Bang, Seven Wonders, uh, Ticket to Ride, games that everybody's familiar with or that have already been successful in other games. Or they bring something they want to teach. So they'll bring Summoner Wars and teach people how to play Summoner Wars. Uh, they'll bring. Um, uh, uh, last night on Earth, and force march us through the dreadful, <laughs> dreadful uh, last night on Earth, which I played a couple of times now, and I can kind of see the appeal, but it's really not my kind of game. Uh, so I cannot, by the way. What? Uh, see the you need to play really drunk. I must. I, that must be it. It must be a drunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In our circles, it's referred to as Scotch and Zombies, and that's the okay. only way it gets yeah. played. All right, yeah, a, it, you 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 cannot take a serious competitive game. It no, is a storytelling generator. Well, no, not it even that. It's not. No, it, 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 it is a storytelling generator, and so, oh, I could have done it if my dice had been perfect. Or, if only I got to screw the cheerleader, everything would have been fine. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of how that works. So, so, so sometimes we have good teachers. Some people are really good at teaching games. You know, John Schaefer is really good at teaching games. We have a couple of guys who are in the same board game group, and when they're both there, they can tag team and they can do different types of games, and they're they're really great together. Um, generally, some people bring games that they know quite well. Um, so it really depends. We don't have a lot of time generally to go through something really complicated. Uh, we usually have, especially when I play more than one game. If you have like twelve people there. And people want to play with different groups all the time. They want to meet each other. You can't have a lot of four-hour games in there, right. so you kind of have to mix it up and shuffle it uh, but some. But, but the, 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 the process. That, that, doesn't everybody have that guy who it's like, if this person's here, then we can learn a new game, or he can teach the game. I mean, Rob's my guy <laughs> yep. for that. But it's like, what is it about that guy who's so good at teaching games that makes them so good at it? I, it's really a skill. I mean, it's not a skill that I really have. I'm good at. I'm, I, I'm, I a, totally I'm, I'm a decent. I'm, I'm a decent writer. The, the art of arm. explaining. Tom Chick has that. Rule, you should guess. He, 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 ex- he, he can explain board games. Really? Yes, absolutely. And he, I, I know he's very good at explaining how video games work. I didn't see him as a board game. Yeah, if you, you sit down with player. him and and uh, and uh, he sort of he sort of you know susses out the philosophical essence of the design. God. gotcha. No, he's. I'm serious. He's really good at it. I enjoy doing it, which I think is part of it. Yeah, I think a lot of people totally are like, agree. oh, God, I have to teach. And I'm like, oh, cool. I, I think I know how to do this. I think I know how to organize information and then present it in such a way that... I think that's... I think that's the, people who, the, well, the people who are good at it, I think, really like doing it. I mean, are really good at explaining things and walking through. I, th- I think Bruce is really good at teaching games and admitting when he screws up so, oh, and things he doesn't quite understand. I think it took me a few times to really understand St. Petersburg. Oh yeah, yeah, that game. Back, yeah, for some reason that got me. But, yeah. We yeah, played it, it right. Well to get the to last time I won, we played it right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure exactly. Uh, but you know, other games. You know, we uh, I was able to get. I think he, Kalos took me a few games to really understand the placement, but that was more just me not understanding all the iconography in the board because a lot of stuff going on there. But other stuff, it's some people are really. I think they 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 want to teach. They want to evangelize. I mean, I think it's the same with people. People expect me to be able to teach them how to play Europa Universalis because it's a game that I push for. And it's a game you really can't teach as so much as you can say. Here's a starting position for you. Things will, you you will learn faster if it's easy. So play as France in 1500 and focus on these three things and you'll be fine. That's not the same as teaching a game. That's just, that's saying this that's like the easy setting for a game. But well really. actually but it is teaching it because right before I got yeah. on this podcast I was putting my son to bed and he's 9 and I explained the topic and I said, "Okay, so when you're why is it so hard to learn a board game?" and I asked him and he said, "Well, you're trying to do three things. You're trying to learn the rules." You're trying to figure out a strategy for the rules, and you're trying to figure out what everyone else is doing and then see if your strategy can beat theirs. And it's like just a lot to take in at once, which I thought was pretty smart for a nine-year-old, so I'll give props to my son. Um, But the idea is if you're sitting down and telling people, here's the game, just do these three things, you've taken away those last two things. I don't need a strategy, and I don't need to figure out your strategy because I've been told that part. I just need to execute it and then learn from doing it. It's like a case study of right. how to play the game. But you've kind of taken away a couple barriers and, and sort of mental angst that people do. Because as much as we're all gamers and we can sit down and go, yeah, I'm just going to play to learn the rules. I'm not going to learn to win. You really don't want to lose embarrassingly badly. Well, maybe if it's so bad, you can make fun of yourself. you know. But you kind of don't want to spend a lot of time and do it. So there's this nature to not only play, but play well. And there's a lot of things going on. And, and so when teaching a game to people, I try to, 
get them out of that headspace as much as possible and just be like, do this, do this, don't worry about this right now, focus on this. Hey, for your first turn, just kind of do this. And it's trying not to give them strategy too much, but to get them to relax away from, you know, playing well and just get into the game and then figure it out and do their thing. So. Well, that'll make sense to me. Um, I, but um, actually, sorry, just one thing sorry, I remembered no. is the one thing that I've learned when teaching, the one sentence that I've used over the past like five or seven years teaching games, which I feel has made a big difference surprisingly, is when I say to people, you're teaching game and you can see people and they're filling up and they're like trying to take all this into their brain and, and someone at the table is reaching that breaking point where they're like, how much more is this? Because they're drinking from the fire hose and they don't know when it's going to end. And so when you kind of see that point, that's when I usually turn and be like, okay, so you know about 90% of the rules right now or 80% or whatever the percentage is. And that makes this huge difference because people don't know when the finish line is when they're learning a game. They don't know, am I 10% through or are we about to start playing? And by not knowing like the whole journey when you're explaining the rules, it causes this real sort of mental angst of how much more do I have to do? And just bringing out that sentence like, okay, so you know 80% now, we just got a few scoring things and then we're gonna start. Everyone relaxes at the table. They know like, oh, wow, that wasn't so bad. I know most of it, I can finish it up. And it seems like the game just gets so much smoother from there. And I don't know how to get that into a rule book or how to like integrate it, but I, I found it makes a big difference. How often is that a lie? Um, About never. as often as it is when people are giving a talk and they say, okay, so I'm going to wrap up here, and then they yeah. go on for another 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I try not to make it a lie. I would never say it if the number was lower than 80. Right? If, if, if they're like 20% in and someone's getting itchy, I'll just be like, I'll, I'll take a different tack. But if it's really like 75% or more done, that's when I'll bring it out. So I, I just... It's not. I, I don't use it as a lie. I just never say it earlier. I find something else to say. Depending on the game, but game. I, I, I totally understand what you're saying. When when I see someone reaching that breaking point, it all just depends on what kind of game it is. But I'll just tell them, you know, look, let's just play a couple of turns. I promise you'll get it. Let's just let's just walk through a couple of turns, and then we can even start over if you want to. And that right. that usually relaxes them as well. Yeah, and that's the thing. Both of us have talked about relaxing people. Which implies that yep. people are not relaxed when they're learning a game. I some of them, some people are not. I want to yeah. I want to speak to that because I found that there are people uh, who I think are very stressed out about learning games because to them, there's also the very competitive people are very concerned that they're going to miss something that's going to cause them to lose or that if they're not getting it right that they're going to not play well right because learning the game is only part of the equation right the other part is well we're gonna we're gonna play this game and i want to win or i want to play this game and i don't want to embarrass myself i don't want to do something stupid so uh you know i mean i understand that there's some people who just are like oh whatever you know i'll roll a die yeah well my zombie's dead no, that's great but um you know some people really i mean it it, it matters to them and I've, I've noticed this uh you know they sit down at the table and you know they're really looking to try to do well in the game and if they don't it really uh, it really has an impact on their enjoyment and their how how they experience the whole thing. So uh, I think that's part of it, right? I mean, people want to know the rules because uh, it's it's about to lead to a competition, and I don't know how to really ameliorate that. But see, I I, I tend to avoid playing games with those people. 
Well, but, uh, <laughs> no, no, it really I, is. That is that is that is so that that, that is so not the reason but, that but I'm. But Bill, you games. can't do that. You can't do that at yes, a convention. No, you can. can't. No, how do you know? What are you mind reading? No, 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 no. Conventions, a, conv- conventions, a different animal completely. Right, but, but I mean, you're never not, gonna you're not, never gonna do that in a in a in a setting where you have your friends around. I mean, none of my none of my friends are like that. But I mean, there are people. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna go to a meetup. You're gonna see some people that you know. You know, you're gonna get in a game. I mean, some some guy you know that shows up from you know. Uh, you know, Scarberia or whatever. Uh, you know, he might be some nice guy that uh, ends up being a total jerk when it comes to games, right? I mean, so in 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 a social situation, you're going to need to accommodate that guy until you all of a sudden realize, uh oh, I'm in a game with this guy who's really in it for the money, right? So, I mean, you're unless you always play with people that you know and like and understand are not going to be in it for that, you're going to run into that. Well, yeah, but that's why I play games. I mean, seriously, and and. But I mean, you, the, so you're never going. You would never do a meetup. You. Sorry, Troy. You would never do a I mean, look, I mean, I mean, look, but I mean, we I do meetups. So. I will play games with strangers if forced, almost at gunpoint. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, hmm. and I, I am absolutely serious. I even like at conventions. I don't go. I went. I've. I've been to a few conventions this year just because I was I, I was there sort of pimping the games and stuff but as far as going to like origins origins is about 15 minutes from my house right and the 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 idea of going to a board game convention and getting into a random game of chaos in the old world people I don't know I have absolutely zero interest in doing that okay no. what if you're going to what if you're going to a meetup where you have a bunch of people that may have some geographic you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, proximity and, and, no, and are of fans no of something. Yeah. No, uh, we just that, had that. We just had right. AbnerCon. We had we had that. Uh, we had the first annual AbnerCon. Okay. What, like a, so you must have like played with strangers then. But but, but but those are all friends of yours, really. For I mean, the most part, are, yeah. Okay, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, no, now, now um, well, Derek, Derek from Stardock. Yeah. Um, John uh, John Schaefer came along, and we played Cosmic Encounter. Um, and I had never met him before, and he was and he was in that game, and we had a great time. But yeah. to 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 Bruce's point, in if if that had come up, I would have it would have been very very hard for me to enjoy that game. If I am playing with someone and we're there having a good time, particularly something like Cosmic Encounter, which is what we played, and and if someone is really in it to win it, it that that to me is not the reason that I play games. At what all. if you're in, what if you're in an ASL tournament? At the World Board Gaming Championship, there is absolutely no way okay. in hell that I would get to an ASL tournament. Well, yeah. no, I, when I, we I can't were at WBC, playing competitive board games in any no, kind of tournament. So you, wouldn't, so you wouldn't go to you wouldn't go to WBC at all. I was at I, I I was there. I actually loved that con. I thought it was a great time. I had a uh-huh. lot of fun. Met a lot of really nice people. But I saw someone storming out of the Catan tournament with their <laughs> box underneath their arm, just mad as hell and talking to one of his friends about how this guy cheated and now this happened and I'm sitting there like wow man someone must have rolled the robber a lot because he had a really he had a really <laughs> rough time <laughs> I mean and how to me that's just not fun and no, I guess I guess not. I guess they get a lot out of that the whole competitive aspect of it but uh-huh. that's you know, I I play games to have fun with my friends. That's right. that's the reason that I do it. It's not for competitive, it's not for I'm gonna play in this tournament and win this tournament. It's it's just not. So I mean, Bill, I, would I, you would you agree with the you, statement? You have that no, Tom you have no competitive friends. 
Oh no! Oh, absolutely no! I have I have many competitive friends, but that but that competitive comes out in different things. I mean, I play basketball twice a week, and I go out there, and believe me, I'm I'm trying to win. But I don't do that when you know I'm playing the game of Shogun. I I'm trying to win the game. Don't get me wrong. I, when I'm when I'm playing games with friends, I want to win. But it's <laughs> not that I am. That's the reason that I'm there. Well, what's the and difference I know, between and playing I, and I know basketball some people and Shogun? It is. What's the right. the line we use is that is that I want to win, but I don't care if I win. That's absolutely right. It's like poker, right? The, the rules of poker stakes are you want it to have enough money on the table that you are interested in winning the pot, <laughs> but it's not. you don't really care. Like if you lose no, everything you brought, no, it's not. No, the, you don't the, really the, care. Poker's only interesting when you're, when you're playing for more money than you can afford to lose. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean jumping back a little bit we're talking about people who who learn games and they get hyper competitive and they don't want to look bad or lose but I mean there's another angle to these people there's some people who just they, they, winning is not it they just they're afraid of playing poorly and it's no, all about true. that fear yeah. and, it, and it, it causes a lot of like well what now and what about this and can we talk about this rule again and you think they're like dude it's it's, we're not playing for money like this, you know, and, and it, it comes from a very different place. I played Transamerica, the little train game, yeah. a ton, taught kids all day long. I'd give them the cards like, hey, you got five cities, put your starting block down and they would put it down wherever. Hey, I live in Boston. You know, they'd put it down in someone else's city and we'd be off and playing. And I taught it to my family at Christmas one year. My aunt and uncle, very smart, very, my uncle would not put that starting block down because he was so afraid he would put it in a bad spot and lose the game and look dumb. And he, I'm like, just yeah. put it down anywhere. He's like, well, what's the best place? I'm like, well, I don't know what you have. Yep. He's like, and I'm like, just okay, you know what? Pick one of your cities. Well, which one? And finally, I grabbed a card out of his hand. I'm like, put put it there, Denver. Put it in Denver. Like, <laughs> you know, and it was like this weird moment where I'm like, I, I just never see, because he's not a game player at all. But I realized that when you get to be an adult, you're like afraid of looking dumb. It's like going into a meeting at work and someone calling on you and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like you, you have to sort of maintain this front that you know what's going on. And I think that carries through to a lot of people learning games as well. I totally agree. I had that exact same experience with my neighbor, um, very, very old, old, old guy, and he's not a gamer. And uh, we were showing um, him and his wife Ingenious, you know the old uh, right. the old tile laying game, and he had the exact same thing. He's like, "Well, I got a bunch of. Where do I start?" I'm like, "What well, doesn't really matter? It's the first. Just go ahead and put something down." And it was the exact same thing. It's like, "Well, which what's what's the best spot?" I mean, he didn't want to look just you know lost in the woods. I totally understand that. So, any final words on uh, the problems and challenges and potential of teaching? Well, what's the I mean? Julian, you already said the internet's changed how you learn games, and you've talked about some videos. What do you think is the number one thing going forward for computer games or for board games or whatever sorts of games um, people can do, should do, or should look for if they want to teach or evangelize a special a certain game? Well, I, I know what I want to hear from, I, what I want to see from game designers, right? Which is, I want to see, you know, when you release your new board game in an ideal world, I want to see a little online playthrough, right? Preferably narrated so I don't have to read every single rule, right? And there have been some games that did this. There was a game at Gen Con like four years ago that was actually terrible, something like Quest of the Dragon Lords or something like that. 
but but it had like and, and he gave you a little card with the url on it when you like came by the booth you could go online and there was actually a phenomenally good little walkthrough of like what the middle of the game looks like again not the setup but just sort of the middle of the game and and i want to see more of that right i mean it's great to have uh tom vassal and all these other guys uh you know board games with scott's another great one on youtube um, helping walk through these games, but even better if it's coming as part of the design where like somebody's been through, you know, a, a whole playtesting round and understands what the most important part to teach is. And uh, I know that's an investment, but it seems like the tools for doing that are getting easier and easier to use. I I mean, I totally agree. I'm on, I'm in this thing now where I'm starting my own, you know, board game company and I, I'm years away from having my own designs, uh, published because it's going to take that long to do them, but I really plan to have digital rules explanations of any game that I publish, even if I sell it to some other publisher, right? And they're doing the rule book. I will, on my website, gladly get up there myself. I'm like, hey, here's how you play the game. That's great, um, yeah. Because I think that it's like I, everyone learns differently, and very few people want to learn from a rule book. So why not have, uh, you know, take the time. Even as Julian said, it's a day or two and it's a little bit of money and some graphics and stuff to be like, this is exactly how you play. And I made it up, so I'm right. Um, unless I'm, <laughs> you, know, you know, and so you people, that's not how you play. Like, no, it is. Um, and, you know. <laughs> it's my game. <laughs> and I, I really think that that's the way to, to, that's the future, whether it's on a tablet or whether it's, you know, and there's a lot of details to be worked out, but some way to give people an example of someone sort of explaining it and having it animated and you go, Oh, I get it. Okay, cool. Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah, as far as, as far as manuals go and, and what makes it easier to teach, at least, at least for me as the person that usually does most, most of the game teaching is that I, I really love the step-by-step step, walkthroughs in a manual saying here is here's an example of two turns it's in the back of the book you know i think like labyrinth did that and twilight struggle did that like actually showing here these cards were played this is what happens and here's how it goes that helps me tremendously just to see that to see that flow bruce anything dad i just think that my thing would be if you had a game where you know anytime you played the, the rules wrong or did something that was incorrect you got an unpleasant electric shock <laughs> like in Ghostbusters. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's, it's just not your day. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Uh, a reminder to listeners uh, that we have actually an official website now on the Idle Thumbs page, and bit by bit we will be migrating uh, the full show descriptions off of Flash of Steel and entirely onto the new website, uh, just as discussion has been moved entirely to the forum. Uh, there will still be updates on Flash of Steel, of course, pointing you uh, towards uh, our page there, but uh, the Idle Thumbs guys have done a great job on the site, and we're really excited in how things are looking over there. So um, please check it out and register for the forums and follow the discussion there. Uh, Rob is off for this week and again next week. Um, not sure what our topic will be, but I do want to thank uh, Rob and Bill for coming by tonight. Thank you. Absolutely. Any, anytime. And, of course, to our regular panelists. Uh, so have a nice evening, everyone. Good night. Good night. Yeah, good night, gamers. <laughs> <laughs>